Well, you've made it. <laughs> Fifth night of Bible school. Good evening to you all tonight. Looks like we have just a bit smaller of a crowd here on this last evening. I, I think and I, I guess I hope that this has been a growing experience for all of us. I can say that I really appreciate what I heard in the first session and the, the things that I learned and heard there, as well as in preparation for, for my session. And I'm looking forward to, to watching and listening what has been going on upstairs in the second session um, later on, I guess. I'm curious, uh, just by raise of hands, how many of you have been here every night? I guess I get to raise my hand too. <laughs> good, good. Well, I thank you. I, I do appreciate that. I, um, I enjoyed seeing some, some of the same faces in the, in the crowd every, every night. Let's begin this evening with prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence with us and in us. Thank you for being our guide, and thank you for sending uh, the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. I pray that as we spend tonight learning, that we would view everything that we learn about and everything that we hear about through, uh, with the discernment and, and through your word and from your truth. Be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last night uh, we talked about a framework, and you probably can barely see it over here, but the framework that we have, and it asks, all of these ask a question, and each of these categories of concern help us in the issues of entertainment, and music, and books, and really our whole lives. We have a question that kind of guides us, and you can see on the quality it asks, is it well done? And does anyone remember which one, what, what is the answer for that one? We should do things how? Excellence. We need excellence. We need to do them excellently. Content. The message then asks, what is it saying? And we need, to, we need to ask, is it true? We talked about that word a lot this week. And then the effect. What is its purpose? And we use uh, what word there? Noble. Is it, is it noble? And those are the things that, that we should use to, to guide us. And uh, we can help with discernment. We can use discernment in, in this framework that we have. Do you remember the definition that we have for framework? The ability to tell the right from wrong and the genuine from counterfeit and to prefer the right and the genuine over the counterfeit and the wrong. Then we switch to, to talking about our musical nature and, and how big a part that is in, in who we are and how we're created. We talked about how music has changed over time. It went from being something that you had to be in the presence of. You, you had to make music or you had to have someone who was making music. And then we had recordings. And, and Michael brought out something good that it wasn't until about here that it became a personal thing. Until then it was, it was much more of a group that would enjoy it. And that was the only possibility really. Um, and then it started to change until it became a very, a very personal thing or a very private thing. And now a lot of us don't know and maybe we don't even care to know exactly what all music we listen to. It kind of changed. Music has kind of changed. I'd like to spend a bit of time tonight on a, on a discussion of music again, except this topic that we'll talk about tonight applies pretty directly to hymns and corporate worship in our Anabaptist church at Weavertown. We'll talk about some of the things that, that we are facing in, in worship here. I, I spoke at length 
this week about things, about staying engaged with the things that are out there, the things that are in the world and how we're supposed to engage the culture and how we're supposed to live in this time where we are placed. The thing is, focusing only on the negative that is going on in culture will not give us the hope that we have to offer. We can't offer hope if we only focus on on the bad things. Another thing is that we should not stop thinking when it comes to church life. I think that we have been warned of that as well in, in the first session. We have false prophets, and we, they're in the church, but we don't, we don't think about it, and maybe it's because they're in the church that we don't, we're, we're deceived because we, we don't really filter it through the sieve that we should. And, and I think we see what happens when, when people are deceived, and it's a, it's a scary thing. And maybe even after we were clearly told that we need to, to be engaged with and yet be careful about what's out there, maybe we uh, still question how we can do that here at church, how we can do it here. But here's something to get you thinking. Do we shut our brains off when it comes to church? Are we passive worshipers? Passive worshipers, if there is such a thing. If you're, if you're anything like me, the message of the song is a lot of times not the thing that you're thinking about while you're singing. And maybe even it's often not what you're thinking about. And I think it, I think it would be hard for, for some of us to even uh, name the song that we started the service with tonight. We, it doesn't make an impact, really. We don't, we don't think about it. It goes kind of past us, and we're not really thinking about the message that, that comes to us. Do you remember the sermon from Sunday? I don't, I don't think the reason that, that some of you remember it is because there was a good PowerPoint or because Nate was engaging. I don't think that we remember it even um, because it was not primarily because it was just recent. We remember it because it made an impact. What did you glean today? It made an impact on us. And so if our music, if the things that we're listening to in church is not making an impact on us, we're not, we're not thinking about it. We're not remembering it. Is it just filler? Is it dead time? Is it just tradition? And if that's the case for us, then I think we need to look very closely at, at how we worship, even in church. It's amazing to, to look things up about congregational singing online, and a lot of times what comes up is the term Mennonites, and they talk in glowing praise of four-part harmony and a cappella and group singing or, or communal singing, and they talk about hymns, and they, they say these things in a very positive way. It's something that, that we have as Mennonites, and it, it kind of makes a, congregational, a Mennonite congregational singing sound kind of like the, the highest level. Now, that's not to, to make us proud, but that's to make us think about what we have and to make us realize that there is something that's even expected of us to, to do that. We could, have, we could have spent the last five evenings or the last four evenings talking about hymnody and, and about the hymns that are in our church. It's a huge subject, but here's a, here's a very a brief 
version of the history of, of hymnody. Throughout the Old Testament, we see all kinds of types of singing, and, and we have instruments, and there's praising God, and there's worship. But, but speaking specifically about the New Testament era, the first time that singing is mentioned is when uh, is on Passover or on the night that the, the disciples were, and Jesus were in the upper room and they sang a song. They sang a hymn, a communal song that was uh, at the Last Supper. And then throughout the, the next thousand years, there were Gregorian chants, and that was how they, they praised God. Um, they had, um, yeah, they, they chanted, and, and then men like Martin Luther came along, and we still have some of the, the hymns that were written by Martin Luther. O sacred head now wounded, Jesus the very thought of thee, and uh, a mighty fortress is our God. Those are all written by Martin Luther in the 1500s, and we still sing them in church today. And then there was kind of a rebirth, and that, that came in the time of Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley when, when there were new hymns being written, and we still sing their, a lot of their songs today. And so in this extremely li- limited overview of the history of hymns, we can see how that uh, composers really have an important impact on the church because we're still singing those songs today. They, they taught the church how to, uh, how to worship and how to, how to prize the name of Jesus. They taught us how to express our gratitude to him. And they opened the door for expression of faith in their hymns. In the past, the hymn writers were the theologians. They were the ones who, who helped our thinking. And here's a quote that, that is relevant today. Listen closely. Those who love modern worship with all its advantages and blessings ought to exercise caution. A passion for the contemporary and the modern can cause us to forsake the rich store of powerful spiritual truth available in the time-tested music of our Christian heritage. End quote. Tradition can be good. It's it's what we have. Tradition can, can guide us and it gives us a special opportunity to impact our world. Because that's what's expected of us to, to, to follow that. On some choir tours that I've been to, and some of them have been to places with non-Mennonite background, and some of them even to places where there's, it's seemingly a pretty uh, dead spiritual environment, they, they all come away from it and say, and the old ladies, they say, oh, you sounded like angels. And I wonder when the last time that give any contemporary Christian music or whatever. I wonder when the last time they heard that was, that they, that they sound like angels. We can have an impact. On the flip side of, of tradition and, and of the value of that, if we look in, in the book of Psalms, every time or we look for the word new, most of the t- a lot of the time, there is the word song that comes after that. More times than any other word, if you see the word new, it's followed in Psalms, it's followed by the word Song, a new song. There's something that's exciting and, and fresh about having some, a, a new song. And we as people, as, as Christians, we have been re- recreated. We're, we're done with the old music and we are moving uh, into the song of the redeemed. But new song is also, also literal. Now, we have new song books at church. New song books. And in those song books, there are many, many new songs as well. 
And I think that there's something that's, that's exciting and I think that's great. Doesn't mean that we have to get rid of the old songs. It doesn't mean that we have to devalue them because they're old. We can see that, that some, of the, some of the hymns that are in there have survived 500 years and more. Those of us who, who look only to the distant past for our congregational worship, we might miss opportunities to sing about things that are in the present and think newer songs that can inspire worship. There's, there's great old hymns, and those are invaluable. They're very, very good, but they don't represent everything that God has done or will do in the area of music comp- musical composition. And so it's good to, to sing new songs as well. So, is our worship watered down? Is our worship outdated? Well, maybe a, maybe a better question is asking, are, are you, are we, truly pouring our hearts out in worship? Are we feeling the words of the hymn? Are we expressing them in our, in our inner being? Are, are we allowing them to touch us? I have, I have three suggestions that, that might help us to engage our worship, our singing, a little better. The first one is to sing with understanding. Sing with understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, give, it's, it's uh, Paul giving a warning about tongues and prophecy. And I, I think it's interesting that in the middle of that, Paul says that it's important to know what we're singing. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Uh, we, let's look, let, let me look that up. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I want to I read that to you. I think it's important uh, to, to see what he has to say there. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Here it is. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing, my, I will sing with my mind also. He's saying that it's important for us to know what we are singing about and not to just tune out. It is the, it is the words of the song that express praise and adoration and thanksgiving to God. They provide edification to us. The words do. And the music is actually enhanced when we pay attention to what the words are saying. We can, we can maybe sing better and, and more accurately if we know what we're singing about. It will make a difference. Number two, sing with your heart. The Bible commands us in Ephesians 5.19 to, to make melody in our hearts. To sing with grace in our heart. And so, we, we should let the words of the song influence our emotions. And you say, oh boy, music affecting our emotions. Well, no, the song, the, the words that we're singing, if we actually think about it, it will change us. We, we said last night that, that worship is our heart turning to God and thanking Him for, for what He has done. It's a thought, and, we, and if we are thinking about it, we're going to be able to, to sing with, with emotion and with gusto and with energy that is appropriate for the song. And then number three, of course, sing with your voice. Actually sing. There's lots of verses uh, that the psalmist writes about, about singing songs with, with his voice and with his lips and with his tongue. It talks about it all over the place. Praising and edifying God should, should come out of us. 
It's with our voice. And I realize that there are people who say that maybe they can worship better by sitting and, and listening to the words. And I, I completely believe that. I don't doubt that. But I think that there's something about lifting our voices together and praising God um, that draws us together. And it's, it's very valuable. So we see that, that congregational singing is a valuable and it's a spiritual activity. But it depends on us. Whether congregational singing fills something in us, whether it fulfills the potential that is behind us, and whether we appreciate the the practice of it or the principle behind it, it depends on us. Whether we're actually singing to God or whether we're just singing and tuning out, it depends on us. So, switching gears now a bit, are we singing songs that we agree with? Hymnal editors are, are famous or maybe more infamous for, being, for editing songs and for changing them to, to something that suits their theological ideas. And we're going to look at that a little bit here tonight. John Overholt, who I'm actually related to, he's my grandpa's cousin, he was a very edit-happy composer. And he is the one that, that compiled the Christian hymnary that, that we uh, have had in our church for many, many years. One of the things about the Christian hymnary is that he took all first-person references to the Holy Spirit out. So you don't address the, the Holy Spirit in first person. He removed all of those, and, and so um, songs like Come Gracious Spirit, it's not in here. Because, because he believed that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to address the Holy Spirit. I want to look at uh, verse 3 of Come Thou Almighty King. I apologize for um, the the picture and the quality there. Come Thou Almighty King. Here is verse 3 in the the Christian hymnary. And I want to read you verse 3 from Hymns of the Church. Maybe maybe before I do that, I want you just to notice. Verse 1, Come Thou Almighty King. Verse 2, Come thou incarnate word. What does he do in verse 3? He doesn't say, come. He's not addressing the Holy Spirit. This is, this is John Everhalt changing it. It says, stanza 3, altered by compiler. May the blessed comforter. Look what it says in, in hymns of the church. Come, holy comforter, thy sacred witness bear. In this glad hour, thou, first person, who, who almighty art, now rule in every heart. And ne'er from us depart, spirit of power. He changed it. It's different. So two weeks ago, we, I think it was two weeks ago, we sang song number 310 in hymns of the church. And for the, for the first time, or maybe one of the first times, I, I don't know exactly, but one of the first times in quite a while, we sang a song that was addressing the spirit in the first person. We sang gentle Holy Spirit. And it, it, in each verse here, it addresses the Holy Spirit. First person. And by the way, you probably can't see it from where you're at, but I'm fairly, fairly certain that this Gary Johnson is not the libertarian that just ran in the last election. Actually, I know it. <laughs> Here's another good example. One of, one of my favorite hymns is the song, Come Thou Fount. It's a song of tremendous surrender and it's a very real song 
It is uh, the, the words that are there paint life kind of like it is. And so I'd like to, uh, to look at this. And this is, this is verse 3. It says, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Now, I almost uh, asked us to sing this song to see what would happen when we get to this line right here. Okay, so I want to I check it out here in the Christian hymnary. I apologize for not having a better way of, of showing this to you. Come thou fount of every blessing. In, in the Christian hymnary it says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my heart and soul to thee. So it doesn't talk about wondering. And here it talks about wondering too. Look, what, look at what it says in, in here. From, from thee would I never wonder. Never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So, uh, do we wonder in life? Is life hard sometimes? Do we stray? Well, I, I kind of think so, but I want you to, look, to, to see what it says in, in hymns of the church. It's changed in here, too. Uh, on, on this line, prone to wonder, it says, Sore temptation, Lord, I feel it. Passion strains to quench my love. So, that maybe is saying a little bit more. It's a little bit closer to this feeling, right? But it's not necessarily the, the original words that were written. So both of these hymnals are different. Yes? Uh, it's interesting that um, many years ago when I was a student at CBS, we studied this composer and this song. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, hymn appreciation or something like that. Okay. So it was personal. Yeah. And by changing it, it kind of destroyed his, his personal. And, and what he was feeling when he wrote the song, the, the meaning of the song. I mean, aren't we all kind of prone to wonder? I mean, we should, but that's, you know, yeah. It's real. It's, it's something that we face. I, I, yeah, that's good. I always had to think of that when we sang it in, uh, out of the Christian Uh huh. Well, it. <laughs> it's still different. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sore temptation, Lord, I feel it. That's a that's a little closer to this meaning. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another one that, that uh, and this is, this is maybe a rumor, but uh, um, this song says, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And that one is in hymns of the church, but uh, John Overholt did not put it in because suppose he didn't put when we all get to heaven in, in the Christian hymnary because we supposedly won't all. And so he, he, wanted, he didn't want that in there either. One thing that has, has changed um, our general eschatology and the way that we view things is, is 20th century fundamentalism. It has affected us in, in ways that I don't think we completely realize. Um, one, of those, one, of those, one of those ways especially is our view of salvation and our, 
and the second one is our view of heaven. It has, it has distorted that a bunch. And hymns, hymns contribute to this. So if we, if we read through the hymnal, uh, one of the things that a lot of times comes up on the issue of salvation is that it's a one-time experience. And so when, when we're saved, then we are saved for our life. Once saved, always saved, maybe. And it's, it's, it's kind of a single event rather than a lifetime. And Paul wrote about this. He said, I die daily. And he said, every day I need to be crucified with Christ. And that's a lot more in line with what, what Anabaptism taught as well. And a lot of the hymns that we sing talk about this one-time event that happened in our lives. It has also changed our, our view of heaven, maybe. Uh, songs a lot of times project heaven as, as this uh, place where, where we go. It's, it's non-physical. It's out of this world. And it doesn't ever talk about it the, in the way that a lot of the epistles do. And especially uh, the book of Colossians, it says that he is making all things new. He's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And that it, uh, it's, much, it's a much more physical thing than that. Um, I want to hear from you in just a bit about some other uh, hymns and songs and, and maybe questions that you have. But if you really want an interesting topic, uh, you, can, you can Google theologically incorrect hymns. There's, there's three words. And when you do that, there, there are so many opinions and there are so many biases, but it is very interesting uh, to, to look at. And, and try not to get offended as you do that because some of my favorite songs were, were in there. And I had to, I had to say, okay, what, it, what are those songs saying? And, and it especially a lot of times if you, if you Google that, it especially picks on some of the more modern hymns or maybe it's not even hymns, it's more worship music. Um, I debated tonight about, about putting a picture of a diner up here and, and railing on and on for a minute or two about, I love the diner, the diner, the diner, oh, I love it, I love it, I love it, and just going on, because that's kind of um, what some of our, our music can tend to as well. So we're going to be wrapping this up in, in just a bit, but I, I want to hear, what are, what are your questions? There, there, uh, Nancy raised something good. What, what are your questions, or what are some hymns that you have thought of? Okay. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. So, and you mentioned that it's not in. Yeah. <laughs> the founder of it. And we sing some songs by John Calvin and things like that as well. Yeah, that's. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I won't find it. It, it is in the, the, well, is that Church of God Who's Conquering Banners? Okay, so that one is in the old one. Let's see if it's in the new one. Yes, it is. 765. Coming right up. 
The last phrase in the last verse says, dawn with opal-tinted skies. Is that the one you were thinking of? Uh, yeah, and, and the fair eternal morrow, dawn with opal-tinted skies. Yeah, and that'll happen some more, I think. Yeah. What what were the words that you were used to? The fair morning. Oh, okay. I can see why you changed that, I guess. Christmas songs are a heavy target on when you Google uh, theologically incorrect hymns. There's a lot of them. I mentioned, and and maybe along with this, there's there's some other hymns that we sing. I, I mentioned, and he walks with me last night, and and there is basically, there's there's at the end of the first verse, it talks, it says the Son of God discloses, but besides that, it could be a love song. Yeah, we, it's not really. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an interesting song. <laughs> also, the hymns come out of the speakers here, too. Like, um, the real old ones. Okay. In leading the, le- leading the Crusades. I was trying to quick look up his last name. I, I can't find it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about it earlier about engaging in, in whether it's song or the worship. And that's always a challenge for me. But as you were thinking, as you were talking about, it, I thought, is it possible that over amount of time that we are dead or dull or using it for filler, that it causes some people to then look to something more charismatic, where it's more physical, more emotional, more drama, more, I, I don't know if that's, if that's possible or not. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's just a filler, and we're made to worship something, you know, and if you're, if you're persuaded that you should that you should have some form of church worship I can see that it could lead some people to becoming to going down that road yeah because they 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 want to have worship in a yeah. service by the way maybe I'll just stick a plug in here um, John D Martin the the compiler of this is will be he'll be here the last Sunday night in February and so Maybe some of these questions you can you can ask him. Ask him what he did with with the the uh, the song that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> well, I'd like to to close now. And um, 
to do that, I would, I would like uh, you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if you've ever noticed how many re-words there are in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, words that, that begin with R-E. There is renew, and restore, and regenerate, and reconcile, and repent, and there's, there's a bunch more. But I'd like you to uh, look here at, at verse 17. This is, this is one of my favorite re-words. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You ask, what's our salvation for? Paul just said it. Paul just told you reconciled ones like you and like me are to take reconciliation to the world. We're to be reconcilers. And it says also in verse 17 that, that if we are in Christ, we're going, to be, we're going to be a new creation. It's going to be different than the old things. And so Paul is calling us to, to, to step above the culture and step out of the way that that is shaping us and to be reconcilers in this culture. Those who, who have experienced redemption, you and I, we are supposed to be redemptive agents in the world in which we live. And I'd like to leave you with that thought. So let's close in prayer. Lord, you've been with us this week. And I praise you for that. I pray that as we um, go from here that we would be able to take that reconciliation um, that we have experienced and that we would be able to reconcile um, the world. I pray that, that we would be able to, to rescue the good in the world and that we would be able to address the bad and that we would be able to, to show them the light. Help us to, to be a group of people that is not scared to, to go into the world and to, to teach all nations. Thank you for giving us your truth, and thank you for giving us the answer to the world's problems. Thank you for giving us hope. I pray now that you would be with us and, and guide us as we think about this, and I pray that it would continue to shape our hearts and lives as, as we think about it, and that we would um, continue to, to live, uh, live for you until the day you call us home. In your name we pray. Amen.